The government's taken another step towards fulfilling its pre-election promise to lift incomes and improve working conditions of everyday Kiwis. The Fair Pay Agreements Bill was introduced to Parliament yesterday and is expected to pass into law later this year. Under the bill, employees will be able to force their employers to negotiate working conditions and pay if at least 10% of their workforce or 1,000 staff agree to it. Objectors believe the legislation will only drive up costs for businesses and it's the type of legislation we'd have expected to see in the 70s and 80s. To discuss the cons of an FPA, I'm joined by Business New Zealand Chief Executive Kirk Hope. Good morning to you. Good morning. Is it the fact that the government took your um, involvement for granted without consulting you that's galling, or is it the agreement itself? What is it? Well, look, there's a, there's a range of things we've yep. always objected to to fair pay agreements. We don't think that they're fit, fit the purpose for a modern economy. Um, they're not the right tool to fix um, some of the perceived issues. Uh, and, and the government's own officials told told them this. So the, the the difficult thing for us was knowing that we didn't like fair pay agreements. We couldn't, in, in all honesty, take $250,000 a year from of taxpayer money to, to negotiate these things. We'll, we'll still help businesses and industries negotiate if, if they're forced into that situation. Um, but we're not going to take taxpayer money uh, to, to, to do that. What is wrong with lifting the incomes for, for low earners? I would, we had a discussion on Talkback last week where I was talking about earning 20 to $25 an hour as a maitre d' slash waitress. And that was in the early 90s in Wellington. That allowed me to live independently, raise a daughter on my own. It was low wage, but it was livable. And yet people would be on the same money, maybe less. And that's 20 years later, 30 years later. Were companies more productive back then? Well, I mean, I think there's a, there's a whole range of um, things that can pack into that. Um, but the question you have to ask yourself, is a fair pay agreement going to be the answer to that to that? If you see that as an issue, is that going to be the answer? And, and our firm view is, is no, you're not going to get. What, what you might get is a, 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 what, what the unions would argue is that, you know, this prevents, and the government, this prevents a race to the bottom. It, it, it actually won't. For some people, it may end up lowering the wages. Um, one of the things that employees have indicated, not just in New Zealand, but globally as a result of the pandemic, the, the key thing that they value is. Uh, flexibility and agency—that is control over the, you know, over their paying conditions, their own control over yeah. their paying conditions. So that's what employees are telling employers globally. This flies exactly in the face of that because it, it, what it, what what the government have done is they said they made a pledge to the CTU. We're, we're going to put this in place, irrespective of the conditions, irrespective of whether it's the right policy tool. It's a piece of ideology, and and so I have no confidence at all that, that it will actually make any meaningful change in the way that the government thinks it will. Is it illegal? Well, so New Zealand has, as you know, as a country, as a government, the New Zealand government has long supported and committed to uh, voluntary supporting voluntary bargaining. Now, this is compulsion. So once uh, a fair pay agreement is triggered by 10% of yeah. the workforce in a sector, an occupation or an industry, or a 1,000 people. Uh, employers are forced to the table. Um, this is pretty rare and unique 
globally. So despite what the government will tell you, this is not how things work in other, other countries. Um, and, and again, it, it flies in the face of New Zealand's, the New Zealand government's own commitment to support voluntary bargaining because it compels people to the table. It's not the right way to go. When you talk about flexibility and agency, I believe I have that. I believe a number of people I know have that. I also know a number of workers who don't have that degree of flexibility and agency, who aren't able to negotiate their own working conditions and terms. They need help to do that. In, in which case they could they could organise and join a union now, but nothing is preventing them from doing that in order to organise. You don't need a fair pay agreement to to uh, to get assistance to help negotiate uh, the pay and conditions. Would would be my uh, observation. Um, and the question is, so what's the what's the training and productivity component of that as well? How long are, how long are those people in those jobs? Basically, if you say nothing about uh, improvements in productivity, uh, changes to training regimes, all they do is say, we're going to put the price up uh, as, a, as a bottom line. Uh, and, and by the way, you're going to with you people in this group are going to have the same terms and conditions. Do you think it's about people looking, workers looking at one another and saying, I work 25 times harder and more productively than the person next to me. I deserve more. Um, well, again, you know, you, you're probably not going to get that from a fair pay. No, that's what I'm thinking. Is that what you're yeah, saying too yeah. about the fact that some employees are like, come on, you know, I, I know I work harder than my colleague. This is ridiculous. Well, I think there'll be there'll be a fair amount of that. I mean, mm. you know, the the other the other thing that you want to try and do is incentivise, you know, training. And the review of vocational education is actually a really good example of of saying, hey, here's previously, you know, government money, lots of government money would have been spent on, you know, tertiary education institutions. Lots of training goes on in the workplace. It's just not recognised and it's not funded or it hasn't been effectively mm. funded. Now, now, the review of vocational education changes that dynamic. So that's a good thing. Um, and that's, you know, that's government policy and, and we've supported that because it enables people to, to uh, as organisations and businesses to train their staff and it, and it reflects the value um, to that person uh, and to that business of undertaking that training because it'll provide you know, higher levels of skills and more productivity. Those are the ways to do those things, not through you know, a one-size-fits-all, uh, kind of inflexible regime that fair pay agreements are. I thank you for your time, Kirk Hope, CEO of Business New Zealand. News Talk ZB in favour of fair pay agreements is the early childhood sector. They believe FPAs will help retain more teachers. The Council of Trade Unions say fair pay agreements would put New Zealand on par with the rest of the world. CTU President Richard Wagstaff says Australia's modern award system has been in operation for years and its wages outstrip New Zealand's. Richard Wagstaff joins me now. Very good morning to you. Good morning, Kerry. Can we? I, I thought they were unlawful, according to uh, Business New Zealand. They're going to the ILO and saying that FPAs are unlawful. Are they or are they not? I don't think they are. Um, <laughs> anyone can take a complaint to the ILO, and obviously Business New Zealand is trying at angle. But the ILO strongly supports collective bargaining and collective bargaining um, being strengthened. And New Zealand doesn't really have good and strong collective bargaining framework. Uh, when I was on the working group for the setting up of fair pay agreements, along with Business New Zealand, that was chaired by Dan Boulder. And one of the things we did was look around the world and we found that New Zealand was quite an outlier 
the way that we had, you know, very little collective bargaining. And most countries have some form of extending the benefits of collective bargaining to, to industries and occupations, and that's what this is. Is that because people have chosen not to join unions? I mean, we have the choice now to join unions. Do you think it's that New Zealanders like having their own, as, as Kurt put it, agency to be able to negotiate for themselves, their conditions, their pay, and because they think yeah. they're worth more? No, no, I don't. I don't think that's quite right. I think the reality is most people don't negotiate um, their conditions. Most people have their employers set it for them. Most people don't realistically have an opportunity to join unions because they feel if they do, it'll be seen as a as a challenge by their employer and they don't have the support of people around them. In industries where, there's, where there is strong union presence, like, say, nurses, uh, everyone joins as a thing that you do. But in industries where nobody's a union member, it's very difficult for a, for a new worker to say, I want to, I want to form a union. What we've found, like, one of the things that's very similar to a fair pay agreement would be the pay equity settlements. I mean, just for whole occupations, you might remember for home support workers and aged care workers, we did a pay equity settlement that covered 55,000 people. Yeah. I'm not aware of a single person who said they didn't like being part of that collective settlement. So it was about, that was very similar because it was about setting a floor over and above which everyone still needs to negotiate their employment agreement, individually or collectively. So that still remains there. It's just about having a base, a bottom that they can't go under. But is it the fact that you know, we'll raise wages, employers will say, well, I can't sustain this, I'm going to have to raise the cost, and therefore any increase in wages is lost in an increase in inflation? Yeah, well, I remember the idea was to get an agreement between between workers and, and employers, and to find out, you know, what is what is what works, and obviously what works won't be what drives businesses under the ground. That, that won't work. I think the other thing to remember, if you look at one of the one of the areas we think would be a good place for a fair pay agreement, would be supermarket workers. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that industry, we've seen actually the cost of of products in supermarkets has been boosted by excessive profit taking, not wages. So, you know, there are many things that go into the cost of things. And we shouldn't really be satisfied, I think, having our offices cleaned, um, having security no. guards and so forth on unfair conditions of work. You know, I don't know about you, but, but I, don't, I don't feel right getting a discount on my, on, on my um, security because the workers are treated badly. It just doesn't make sense to me that we would want that as a country. No, but isn't this also going to impact on employers? And, and the vast majority are small to medium-sized um, businesses who are you know, going to feel the effects of this without also being able to take enormous profits the way we see you know, the aged care sector and the way we see the supermarkets do? Well, they, they will certainly... Well, it's, I'm not quite sure what your is, but basically, yes, it will cover all of, or everyone in an, in an industry, you'd think. So for security, there are a lot of small firms as yes. well as larger firms in security. Yeah, they will all have to reach a standard. Now, there's two ways, there's several ways to look at that, but one is that if you are a security operator and you want to tra- pay your staff well or fairly, you're really disadvantaged at the moment because your competitors don't have to to win a contract. And that's what we've found is a real issue here. And we saw it with the bus drivers in, in Wellington. Um, we saw companies that didn't, didn't have bottom standards undercut existing um, providers of, of public transport and win contracts and then even further lock them out further to try to reduce conditions even lower because there was no floor. And they wanted to do that so they could keep winning contracts to provide public, public transport. And that's the problem we've got. We're not having competition on innovation or quality. We're having competition by driving down wages. And we're just trying to put a floor on there which says you can't go too far. There needs to be 
this industry needs decent conditions to attract people to it. If we keep, if we have a model where the incentive is to drive down wages like they do in the bus industry, we've got real problems. And that, that's what this is about, providing a basic sustainable floor for everyone to, to operate from. Won't that be solved by the fact that we've basically closed off migration? Well, it's not really. I mean, right now we've got, as you say, quite low uh, unemployment rates. We've got high inflation, and yet wages aren't really moving across the board. Uh, you know, that that was the idea of the Contracts Act, really, that the market would take care of it. And I think we've found that it hasn't really, because people can't just negotiate that easily. It's not like buying a pound of butter, you know, when you're selling your, your, your labour. It is, it's much stickier than that, if you like, in economic terms. People have a lot of other considerations. So... I don't think so, but again, you know, most things have basic standards in them, um, and uh, that's how we that's how we maintain and improve our overall, um, you know, wages for, for New Zealand workers, like they do in other countries. And I might just say, countries that not only do better than us for workers, they actually have better businesses too that that are more successful than New Zealand, like the Scandinavians, the Germans, and the, the mm. Dutch, and all, all those all of those places. So, it is good for business too to create good jobs and fair jobs and attract labour because you have a reputation for doing that. I thank you very, very much for your time. Richard Wagstaff, CTU President.